0: Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis.
1: Listen to you move your mouth, I bet you come way down don't tell me, let me guess, you from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff, I swear I can't get enough up.
2: Welcome to Talk Money, and now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Good
3: morning, and welcome to Talk Money here on The Voice, FM 107.9 and AM 990. I am Keith Quinn, in for Jim Shoemaker. And man, we've got a great show for you today. I hope you can stick around for the whole hour. We've got some really in, uh, good information and some great guests. We are going to be joined by Shannon Dyson in the first half of the show, uh, the first half hour, to talk a little bit about the healthcare. Uh, debate that's going on in Washington, where we are on the Affordable Care Act, what it means if the Affordable Care Act collapses or is allowed to fail, uh, and then if you'll stick around through that, in the second half of the hour, we're going to be talking with Rob Clement about elder care. All of these is- issues impact us no matter where we are in life, and we're going to be talking about some of the generational aspects of both thinking about health care and thinking about elder care, whether we're taking care of an elderly person in the family uh, or as we transition into that point in our lives. Uh, So, guys, I just want to welcome you both to the show. Again, Shannon Dyson is the Vice President of Shoemaker Benefits, and Rob Clement, who is an advisor at Shoemaker Financial, uh, one of our most experienced advisors, one of my favorite advisors. Uh, Good morning, guys, and welcome to the show. Hey, Keith. Thank you again. Welcome yourself.
2: Good
4: Good
0: morning, Keith. I get to
3: sit in the the pilot's chair today. Yeah.
0: A little well, bit different today to see uh, Keith over there in the pilot's chair. It is it's good. Right? It's all you good. look
3: like you're fitting well. <laughs> you know, hey, it's uh, brings back some memories. <laughs> But we want to start talking about, you know, as we always do, we talk a lot about the economics and what's going on in the economy, so we do want to talk a little bit about that. And then we're going to touch on, you know, what's going on in the first 200 days of, of President Trump's uh, administration. Now we're only six months in, but it seems like uh, in some respects that it's lasted a lot longer than that. Uh, so we're certainly going to talk about that, and of course that will play out into Shannon's uh, update when we talk a little bit about the Affordable Care Act. But talking about the market, you know, we've seen, uh, and Rob, I know you talk about this with clients, We've seen the market consistently setting new highs. Uh, It's one of those things where even when we get a little bit of bad news, the market continues to go higher. And there's, you know, some reasons for that. And I talk a lot about the fact that, you know, in the first time in the last eight or nine years, we're really seeing a lot of global growth. And that can support a lot of the stock prices. You know, we're also seeing that earnings growth and revenue growth. So the fundamentals uh, are still there and, you know, are, again, supportive of these prices, even if you could argue the valuations uh, are a little bit rich. So that's one of the things that, you know, we we. stress to our clients that we don't put too much uh, uh, concern on short-term numbers, whether good or bad.
4: Exactly. And, Keith, you're good about reminding us that uh, every time the market does go down and makes a correction or adjustment,
3: what happens? Absolutely. It always comes back up, and it always goes on to set new highs. The declines are temporary. The gains are permanent. Exactly. Uh, And that's one of the things that we love about the market. I saw a recent number, Rob. It was really interesting. So the S&P 500, through the end of July— up right at 12% through the end of July. What's unusual is that this is nine consecutive months of positive gains in the SP 500. It's pushed the index. Uh, the total worth of the index is over $22 trillion, and it only crossed over $20 trillion uh, earlier this year. So, nine consecutive months of gains. And 16 of the last 17 months have seen a positive gain in the S&P 500. And in fact, the last time that the S&P 500 was up in each of the first seven months of a year, and it's been that way this year, was in 1995, 22 years ago. And in that year, we finished up with a positive gain in the S&P 500 of 37.8%. So now, Rob, as an advisor, I'm going to ask you, what does past performance tell us? It's uh, not a predictor of the future, right? (laughs) (laughs) It tells us very little, and that's why we don't worry about what's gone on in the past. Here's another interesting statistic. If you look at 24 stocks, there were 24 stocks in the index last year that had a gain of at least 45%. Phenomenal year. 24 stocks with a gain in excess of 45%. Of those 24, 10 of them this year, when the S&P's up about 12, have negative returns. Basically, half of those have a negative return. We don't put all that much weight on past performance, and we don't get caught up in looking at those past numbers and seeing, you know, somehow trying to extrapolate what that says about the future. Well, it sounds like, to me, uh, the term asset allocation might be talked about here. I think that's exactly right. So how do we deal with that? Well, we asset allocate. We divide our assets amongst stocks, bonds, cash, some level or some percentage in alternative investments. And then we diversify each one of those sleeves. So if we have 60% of a portfolio that's in stocks, we want to have some exposure to some companies overseas. We want to have some exposure to some companies in the emerging markets. I think a lot of us don't realize this, Rob, and we have this U.S. bias where we think about investing here at home. Uh, but I've seen this number as well. There, there are 23,612 companies in the world that have a market cap greater than a billion dollars. Now, just remind our listeners, market cap is simply a function of the number of shares outstanding times the share price. So your company is worth a billion dollars, 23,612 of them. The interesting thing is 91% of those outside the U.S., uh, so there's a huge opportunity set to investing in companies outside of the United States, even though you do take on some other risk. But ultimately, you're right. It's the fundamentals, asset allocation and diversification.
4: My grandmother that raised chickens had it right, didn't she? She went out to go out to gather the eggs. What would she tell me? Don't put all those eggs in one basket. <laughs> Don't so put all those diversify. Eggs in one she has brown eggs and white eggs. <laughs> that's <laughs> so. right.
3: That is the, the classic and uh, definition of diversification, and that's exactly right. Yeah. And that's that's what we try to do. Not having the crystal ball, not being able to see into the future. Uh, you know, we want to own some of these great companies of the world, and we want to own them for a long time. Absolutely. Now, all that being said, you know, we can't talk about the upside without talking about the downside. Risk this year have been mooted in the sense that, you know, again, we're getting that global growth. We're seeing some more certainty out of the situation in Europe. We've put the French election behind us. Brexit seems to be going okay. Uh, Greece, the manufacturing uh, sector in Greece is finally growing. So we're just seeing a lot of good news stories out there. But one of the risks that we have talked about uh, and that is always going to be prevalent, especially in today's society, is the geopolitical risk. And we're seeing that play out this week with Korea. Just the thought of any kind of armed conflict uh, with North Korea is spooking the markets a little bit, and we saw that yesterday with the sell-off here in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, a little over two hundred points. Uh, that worries the market, and that's one of the things that it's awfully hard to plan for.
4: Yeah, I I happen to be of the age where uh, my wife and I, uh, as we were talking last evening and and just generally, uh, she reminded me about the Bay of Pigs. Right. You know. So I mean. Geopolitical have always been here, It's always and they will always be here in the future, so uh, what do we have to do, Keith?
3: Well, we, we focus on the fundamentals, and we don't get caught up in that, so it's, it's, there's always a couple of things to think about when you're thinking about the, an event. The probability of that event happening, and the impact of that event if it does happen. So the probability of a shooting war with North Korea, I would argue, is extremely low. But the impact could potentially be huge, and it's not necessarily North Korea. And we think about that, and that's a big deal. And you know, the estimates are they have anywhere from ten to twenty uh, nuclear weapons. And of course, the story now, uh, and Shannon and I were talking about this earlier this week after President Trump escalated this situation with his "fire and fury" comment, uh, and that was kind of a kind of a off-the-cuff comment, I think, wasn't it, Shannon? Yeah, it was a comment you're not
0: used to hearing um, a president. Say- say... I don't think <laughs> no, I've never heard that. So yeah, and, and then he uh, followed it up a little bit later. We thought maybe that he would temper some of that language, and he followed that up, Walked that think back just a little bit yesterday and... by saying maybe I wasn't strong enough <laughs> right. in my language. So I'm not sure how you get much stronger than fire and fury. But you know. I, I, I don't know
3: who's more worried. You know, Kim Jong Un or President Trump. Uh, you know, again dealing with uh, a crazy person, Kim Jong Un, uh, it can be a little dangerous to poke him with a stick. But I, you know, I think we should take a, a hard line stance with. Korea, with North Korea, but the issue is not necessarily North Korea. So let's say North Korea follows through on their uh, most recent plan, and they'd said they're going to launch four missiles at Guam, and they were going to do that by the middle of August. Well, that's a couple of days away, Uh, and I would imagine if they launch four missiles at Guam, Guam has the THAAD missile defense system, uh, that we will try and shoot those missiles down, and if we shoot those missiles down, is that a provocative act that would cause the North Koreans to potentially shoot something at Seoul? And I think Seoul is always the wild card with millions of folks sitting within artillery range of, of North Korea, uh, just a very easy target. And then if that happens, you know, what's our response? And if we respond, do the Chinese come in on the part of the North Koreans? And that's where it gets sticky. If the Chinese come into this, all of a sudden we've turned a regional conflict into a global conflict. You know, we think we've evolved past war, uh, but I don't think we ever will, Rob, as you no, said. I, I agree. It's, uh, it's going to be one of those things where stay tuned. Stay tuned. And as I said, an extremely low probability event. Yes. So we're not saying that this will happen or is, likely to ha- or is likely to happen. But if you would say, what are the chances of this happening? The chances are higher today than they were on Monday. Uh, they just are, even though they're still awfully small. Now, it's not one of those things that we would uh, draft uh, or potentially craft investment uh, policy around. Uh, but it is one of those things that we want to be aware of. But it comes back to Rob. Again, how do we prepare for that? We asset allocate. We have a portion of our portfolio in bonds that we'll do. Well, when the market drops, uh, and that's how we uh, insulate people from events that we can neither predict nor control. Yep. And he th- just recently as this week,
4: I, I had a uh, one of the clients in, and we were talking about asset allocation, and right, and uh, and he was inquisitive about a few things about asset allocation, and he happens to love baseball, right? So we were talking about baseball, and I asked him, I said, uh, "What uh, professional team do you follow?" And he told me. And I said, who's the best player on that team? It happened to be an, a fellow that was an international. Right. And I said, has he been consistently the best player on the team? He says, no, he's kind of worked up to that position as the best player. I said, exactly. You've got asset allocation with the baseball Absolutely. team. Absolutely, You don't have just all U.S. citizens on there. You are bringing folks in from Puerto Rico and Venezuela and other countries that are playing with the team. So. Asset allocation is all around us. We just don't call it that. Absolutely. But it's absolutely important. He's a great ball player. But you
3: know what? he may not be next year the best hitter or the fielder on the team. And since we don't know, we want to own his buddies as well. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> well, guys, i tell you what. Let's take a uh, quick break and check out what's going on with the uh, weather. But when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the first 200 days of Trump, and then we will get the update on the latest news from the Affordable Care Act with Shannon Shannon Dyson, the vice president of Shoemaker Benefits. As always, Talk Money is brought to you by Shoemaker Financial, which has been providing professional advice, quality products, and extra Excellent service throughout the mid-south since nineteen seventy eight. At Shoemaker, it is not about the plan, it's about the results. We'll be right back.
2: podcast of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this.
1: Are you aging? Well, I am. This is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. As we age, our concerns and needs change. An updated estate plan will give you peace of mind regarding your family and your future. Your will is about your wishes and not always about your wealth. What are your wishes? Please call us at 901-843-2760 or visit us at thebaileylawfirm.com. Again, this is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm telling you that today is the youngest you will ever be. Let us help you with your estate planning, elder law, and probate needs. It's what we do.
2: You're listening to Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time. and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results, research, investment advice, or a recommendation to purchase or sell a security you're listening to talk money this material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results research investment advice or a recommendation to purchase or sell a security and now here's your host jim shoemaker
3: Good morning, and welcome back to Talk Money here on The Voice, FM 107.9 and AM 990. I'm Keith Quinn, in for Jim Shoemaker, joined here in the studio by Shannon Dyson, uh, with Shannon Dyson and Rob Clement. Shannon, uh, we wanted to talk about the first 200 days of Trump. Uh, Again, we're six months into this thing. Uh, I think we all kind of sit in a little bit different chairs. What do you see from the first 200 days? Man, the, the
0: first thing that pops out to me is Twitter. You know twitter twitter, twitter. everybody twitter. knows what twitter is now right i think it's the first time that we've ever had such insight into a president's brain and what he's thinking from moment to moment and I mean, you think about it 140 characters it's exactly If you think about past presidencies past presidents you never really knew what they were thinking day to day. You knew the policies that they wanted to implement. It's a great implement. point. You saw the official uh, statements. You saw official but, statements. Yeah. You never got to see the insight into what presidents were thinking. And I think when you when you poll people about his first 200 days, it kind of shows that people may not like some of the things that they're hearing on, on I'd Twitter. rather not know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 62 percent. There was a recent poll uh, done by CNN. It said 62 percent. Uh, of people do not or less are what they say. They said they are uh, less um, inclined to believe the president because of the things that they read and see on Twitter. Wow. Yeah. So 62%, that's, that's a less, big number. That's
3: a that's a huge number. But that's a great example. You know, like a lot of things If we've talked of, of how it's uh, you know, how it's evolving and how we were talking earlier about how the economy is changing. But, yes, that's a that's a great point. Twitter has been a big deal and given us a lot of insights into the president's thoughts. Again, I, I wish I didn't know some of that. Uh, uh, you know, what's the old saying? Uh, better to keep your mouth closed and let people think you're an idiot than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> and remove all doubt, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Not implying that the president's an idiot because we would never do that.
0: No, but, but when you are uh, when you're in a constant, um, I think it's constant reactionary, and so you, you hear a reaction to every single issue. And it's the first time that we've really heard that type of language. Uh, heard that type of instant reaction out of a white house
3: well and i think you know you could argue that that uh, president trump is not a politician hasn't been so he hasn't learned that you know the a lot of the best ways to address some of these things is not to address it uh, and just keep you know that laser focus on his agenda which i think we all support and boy would we have been so much better off if some of this agenda would have been passed at this point rather than where we are now well i've always heard
4: it your strength is one step away from your weakness and Great way to put each it. person looks at their selves individually. You see your strength, but we also know that, boy, I am, as I look at myself, I know, wow, what my weakness is. So I have to be very careful about that. And, you know, one of the things that's been attractive about our current president is his strength and his, uh, I mean, people remember him when he was on The Apprentice and uh, and how he handled himself there. And they said, well, you know what, I, I like that or I don't like it. So we just have to accept what we see as a strength and recognize that weakness, too, and love a person through it.
3: Well, absolutely. And I know, Rob, you've talked to some, some clients this week and just gotten their overall impressions of the president. And I thought it was very interesting. One of the, the first things or the most common thing that came up when you, were, when you were just asking them about what the, you know, what do real people think? We, can, we get all this uh, information or feedback from what people inside the Beltway think in Washington. But what, what do we actually think? Yeah, the the most consistent answer. I had about five
4: different answers, but the one that came up consistently with just a a random survey here, right. not Nothing official, but was the fact that uh, of Neil Gorsuch, uh, the Supreme Court justice, and that there would seem to be. If I was an emoji, I got a double thumbs on that one. Or Absolutely, thumb, uh, Trump got a double thumbs on uh, on uh, having Neil Gorsuch, and, and also that's the l- most long lasting. Of the decisions. I mean, when you're a Supreme Court justice, you're not done just tomorrow or next week
3: or a month, you're there forever. Great yeah, point. So. Justice Gorsuch is a, fair, a fairly young man, should be on the court for a long time. I think he was a brilliant pick. I think he's a brilliant judge. Uh, so I agree. That will have a huge impact. And it's interesting that people would focus on that. But that is one of the concrete things that, that President Trump has got done. Now, I would say this. You know, we've talked about the fact that, and again, we'll talk about uh, health care in a little more detail with Shannon in just a second, but we've talked about, you know, the agenda being tax reform, and then we're going to do a big infrastructure spending program, and we're going to rescind all these leg- uh, regulations. We haven't made much progress on tax reform. We sure haven't gotten an infrastructure bill. Uh, But we have gotten some regulations delayed. 860 regulations have either been rescinded or delayed in the first six months of this administration. That's taking some of the burden off businesses. uh, And that's a good thing. That's a good thing for the economy. Uh, And if the economy's doing better, that's good for all of us. It provides more opportunity for people. Uh, It provides more sales for companies, which drive up earnings, which drive up stock prices. So all of that is a very positive thing. But we don't really talk about that much. Because it's kind of overshadowed by the bigger ticket items. And speaking of that, Shannon, let's jump right into the, the Affordable Care Act, and and I guess start with
0: you know where we are on that. Yeah, I was going to say the the regulations that, that that is not something that's talked about, not something that we hear about. Right. And so the things that we hear about are, like you said, are the things that are in the news. And I think that's why if you, if you look back just to just to cap that uh, discussion off on his first two hundred days. His success rate was ranked about thirty six percent, thirty six percent by Americans. Back at, if you look at Bush and Obama, right at the same time, two hundred days. Bush had a fifty six percent approval, and Obama had fifty one percent on people that thought they were being successful. In successful first 200 in their first two hundred days. days. But I think yeah. a big part of that is the health care uh, legislation. We've had has to be right. Basically, two hundred days of health care in the news of what was going to pass if we were going to repeal the Affordable Care Act, how we were going to repeal it. Um, and at the end of the day, the end of the 200 days, nothing got done. And to me, that just blows
3: me away, uh, considering, you know, as we've said, ad nauseum over the last seven years with the Republicans and 50 some bills, I think they passed to refill the Affordable Care Act. They yeah. were signed by both houses of Congress and and didn't quite get the president's signature. But now when you have a chance to repeal it, somehow they can't come
0: up with. a. Plan. Yeah, we talked about this last time we were here. There were there were 50 Were there 50 Senators or no forty-seven senators 47, uh, that believe, voted yeah. to repeal right. uh, the Affordable Care Act in its entirety without a replacement uh, when President Obama was was president and now the in same 2015, bill, in twenty fifteen two years ago two years yeah. ago the same bill uh, came up uh, this this year or just within a couple weeks and it was it was voted down by several of the people that voted yes um, two years ago and even one of our own one of our own that was that was disappointing uh, Senator Alexander voted against. Uh, repeal uh, when two years ago he voted to repeal.
3: The and I, I'm a big admirer of his, but I, I just don't understand that vote. And
0: I do not understand, you know, why they wouldn't want to repeal that. Well, I would like to know, other than he thought it would get passed this time or signed into law, what was the difference? Right, right. What was the difference? Right, right. was the difference? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that much has changed. Uh, the, the, the Affordable Care Act um, has gotten worse, not better. And so you, you can't point and say, well, things have gotten a little bit better on that side, so I didn't want to just repeal it. Right. Well, no, things have gotten worse. So, yeah, there just
3: should be more of a political reason to repeal it than ever. But, Shannon, let's start, because we're talking about this, but, but talk to us about what people think when they say health because I know we get a couple of different ideas when we, when we say healthcare.
0: Yeah, one of the things that, that um, I always think about, when, especially when uh, next, uh, next month Senator Bernie Sanders is going to uh, introduce a bill uh, that he knows will not pass, but he wants to get the discussion started on a single-payer system. And one of the things that he said was health care for all, Medicare for all. And when I think of health care and Medicare, I think of those as two different things. One is actually right. insurance or, or health insurance, and one is actually health care. And I think everybody believes that we all deserve a right to health care. Sure. Mean, if you are sick, you deserve the right to be treated for that sickness. You deserve access um, to a health care professional. But people are equating health care <laughs> with health insurance. And I think those are two totally different things. And I think we need to make sure... That when we're talking about this, we define what exactly we are talking about. And a lot of times politicians don't want to define what we're talking about because they want that little bit of gray area so they can say, We are denying health care to citizens. Well, we're not denying health care. We're denying health insurance. Not even not denying health insurance right now, but what we could say is if pre existing conditions came back, that could be considered denying health insurance. But we're not denying health care.
3: I don't know, Rob. You know, politicians wanting a little wiggle room. Does
0: that sound (laughs) right to you? Uh, Let's see.
3: Let's go back to the signers
0: originally. (laughs) (laughs) No, but what what you're seeing today is that you've got several, um, you know, President uh, Trump talks a lot about um, a lot about letting the current system fail. Exactly and then that sounds uh, you know it's almost got some intuitive sense to it that yeah just let it fail right what, you know what does that mean yeah. you know, to, let, to let it fail I was looking at some numbers uh, before I got here this morning um, and we've talked about this before but there are uh, more than a third of the counties in the United States only have one insurance carrier okay. uh, that is available to them that represents about 2.7 million people so 2.7 million people in our country uh, uh, that have individual health insurance have one provider that they can, there's not a choice. I was going to right. say that they can that, choose from, that they, but that, that's that is their the only, only choice. Provider. Um, there are 10 million people in the system, in the, in the healthcare reform individual market. So 2.7 million out of the 10 have only one choice. So almost 30% only have one, one choice. choice right now, and that one choice could go away. Correct. And then you talk about the, there are 40 some odd counties that have no choices, there are no health insurance uh, carriers in their county. Um, that represents 26,000 people. So those 26,000 people in 2018, unless something changes between today and the end of September when all these carriers have to put in their rates and prices for the upcoming year, will have no choice of a carrier for 2018. That's insanity. I mean, that is the definition of insanity. Doesn't that make your blood boil a little bit? Well, Just especially a, when you have a, a mandate to have insurance.
3: You're required to have insurance. We're going to penalize you if you don't, but you don't have any insurance that you can buy. So right. we're,
0: going to, we're going to penalize you for buying something
3: that you cannot that physically you can, buy, that you cannot, cannot
0: purchase. And so when, when President Trump talks about the system failing, what we've seen over the last four years is each year there are fewer and fewer carriers left in the market. And so, what that basically is saying is if there are no carriers in the market, it has failed. It has I mean, failed. The, the,
3: by definition, right? By
0: definition, if you cannot get insurance, the system. then that's a failure because it's designed to give you insurance. So, a
4: carrier in the market would be an example of who, Shannon?
0: Uh, Blue Cross, okay. uh, Humana, United Healthcare, Aetna. Um, they've all basically left the the individual health care system. Now, don't get confused with group insurance, because with a group, if you are an employee of a company um, in those same counties, that does not affect you at all. It's only affecting the people that do not have a group plan that have to go into the individual market to get health insurance. Right. So you're saying to get a
4: better goal uh, as far as uh, stimulating, Mm -hmm. we need more of the Less government and more of the independent or carriers back out there?
0: Yeah, one of the things I think that we need is 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 more more uh, competition in the market to help okay. bring pricing down. And so I think once we get some more competition, maybe a little bit less regulation, let some carriers come in, maybe that can get some prices and bring start bringing those prices down.
3: Always blows me away. You know, when we think about these complicated issues, but ultimately it's not that complicated. Less competition, less regulation. Uh, Let businesses do its thing. We believe in a free market economy and work a lot of this out. Great points, but that is infuriating that we have a government that would potentially tax people for buying something that we don't even offer them to buy. Unbelievable. Let's take a quick break. We are going to go to Charles Osgood for the Osgood File, and we will be right back after this with Shannon Dyson and Rob Clement.
2: sure to like us on Facebook to search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. You're listening to Talk Money. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax and or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax and or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax and or legal situation. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker.
3: Good morning and welcome back to Talk Money here on The Voice, FM 107.9 at AM 990. I am Keith Quinn, in for Jim Shoemaker, joined in the studio by Shannon Dyson and Rob Clement. Shannon, we're talking about the Affordable Care Act. We were talking about a lot of the counties that you had said that only have one provider, some that have no providers. We've talked about, you know, what it means when the uh, President Trump says he was just let Obamacare fail. So I wanted to circle back on one thing. You know, why is it failing? And is it about that, you know, the number you mentioned, the 10 million folks that are actually signed up on the exchange?
0: Yeah, I think the 10 million, they, they had projected at one time to be 26 million. 26 million. So we're so not even close. We're, not, not, even even halfway we're not even halfway there. And so the, the whole um, idea of the Affordable Care Act and mandating coverage is that you bring in a lot of the young population. Everybody has to have insurance. The law of large numbers helps with claims. Get everything. all the young, healthy people in. Correct. Everything right. works. Well, that, right. did, that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, and I think here what we're... We're seeing also Humana just announced that they are getting out of all of the individual insurance markets. And that's going to hit Tennessee pretty hard because Humana was one of the two carriers on the marketplace uh, that offered plans. And they offered three, I think, three plans on the marketplace. And so with them leaving for 2018. So our only choice is going to be Blue Cross Blue Shield? We have no Blue Cross Blue Shield is only in the smaller counties uh, in Tennessee. So we'll have here in Shelby County. Uh, we'll have Cigna on the marketplace. I haven't heard that they are uh, that they are <laughs> leaving yet. That's insane. Um, and then we have a Etna. Also has an individual health plan. It's not on the marketplace though. It's it's an off marketplace. So if you uh, can't afford the the rates, there's no chance for getting any type of ta- tax credit or subsidy uh, with them.
3: Well, so Shannon, uh, and, and that's an interesting point when you think about the tax credit or the subsidy. You know, President Trump has threatened to suspend.
0: Uh, the federal government's uh, part of these payments. Can he do that? He and has, what impact
3: would that he have? He has
0: threatened that. And that's one of the reasons that uh, Humana used the, that they were leaving the market was uncertainty. And so they said they are not certain that the individual mandate is going to continue in 2018 being enforced. So they need the subsidy to be profitable. They're not certain they're going to get the subsidy. So why would they take the risk? They're not certain they're going to get the subsidy and they're not certain that the, the mandate is going to be enforced. And so if that's, if that's the issue and you already see uh, spiking health care costs. They just said we can't with this the risk is too great. We're going to get out of the market.
3: You know, we have that idea of these evil insurance companies, but it sounds like to me they're pretty much doing all they can and just uh, again, as a business owner, you got to know what the rules are.
0: You got to know the rules and with the insurance carriers, of course, you never know what they're considering expenses and losses. Well, and we, sure, you know, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I'm not <gonna laughs> discount that. Well, let's at not all, give huh? them a pass. No, no, they don't get a total pass on this. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's um it, it, the system is Um, It is not stable right now, to say the very least. It's not a stable system. Uh, For small employers, that that has been a little bit more stabilizing, Uh, we know, with with small group health plans. Right. uh, That's one thing that I think has been pretty strong over the last couple of years. And small group, meaning two employees to under 50 employees, that market has been pretty strong over the last couple of years and, and hopefully will continue to be that way. Well, Shannon, just to kind of sum it all up, so
3: what would you say to our listeners? What do they need to be worried about? I know it, it affects everyone differently. You know, my premiums have gone up a ton over the last seven years. My deductibles have gone through the roof. Uh, I'm assuming some people are experiencing that same thing. You know, what do you tell them about what we are, where we are, and what they need to do, and what they need to worry about?
0: I think when you start hearing uh, a lot of the the, the tough language that's going to come about st- making changes or any changes that right. come, you have to be a little bit more open-minded because the, the alternative is a system that's going to fail and so we do need to have change something has to change with this system in order for us all to be to be in a better place with getting better health insurance right so let's be more open-minded to changes uh, let's not listen to all of the the noise, I guess, uh, that coming comes from both sides. Uh, you know, they, they extremely partisan, right? Yeah, absolutely. they're acting like they just cannot
3: cooperate with you, with each other, and it'd be the worst thing ever to reach across the aisle.
0: Absolutely, and and I think the other thing is that to to understand that if you have a group plan, if you if you're with an employer and you have a group plan, um, really, really a lot of a lot of this hasn't affected you. Yep.
3: yeah, I think that's a great thing to focus on, and you know, it always comes back, and it seems like I have said this quote more than often uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, But, you know, my favorite Winston uh, Churchill quote, you can count on the Americans to do the right thing after they've tried everything else. So (laughs) when we have to fix this, we will. uh, But of course, it's going to be at the last possible second, much like we're going to deal with raising the debt limit and several other issues that we have coming up. Shannon, thank you so much. Stick around for the next segment because I want to get you in on this as well. Uh, We're going to come back and talk with Rob Clement about elder care, some of the issues we needed to be thinking about with that. But first, let's take a quick break and go to Rebecca Brazier for a Mid-South History moment. And I did want to say that talk money is brought to you in part by the bailey law firm which provides estate planning elder law and probate planning for all generations mac bailey's a great attorney would always encourage you to go see mac if you have a legal issue that need to be worked out let's take a quick break and we will be right back
2: a question you'd like answered on the program, email talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this.
5: In November 1901, city planner and landscape architect George Kessler was hired to draft plans for a system of scenic streets to connect Overton Park with downtown Memphis. Kessler had already planned hundreds of projects internationally and across the country and was the perfect man to lead the beautification project for the city. Realizing that the current parks were public property and maintained by the taxpayers, Kessler designed with convenience in mind, envisioning a greater volume of road traffic, though there were less than 20 cars in Memphis at the time. His foresight proved to be correct, for only nine years later, there were over 1,000 cars on Memphis roads. This system of streets changed the way we think about parks. While the word park normally conjures images of ducks and picnics, the system of north, east, and south parkways remains a verdant trail that is still maintained by the park services and has been added to the National Register of Historic Places. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial.
2: You're listening to Talk Money. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investments will fluctuate, and when redeemed, may be worth more or less than when originally invested. And now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Good morning, and welcome back to Talk Money here on The Voice, FM 107.9 and AM
3: 990. I am Keith Quinn, in for Jim Shoemaker, joined in the studio by Rob Clement. Rob... We've talked a lot with Shannon about the Affordable Care Act. And, of course, this kind of plays into health care as we think about that. And we think about uh, elder care as we're all aging and living longer. But tell us what we think about when we're thinking about the terms of elder care, what that really means. Well, let's start with the three of us. Uh, Right. As I'm looking at the uh, the two
4: of you, I'm thinking, all right, we've got three different generations, three different You're not thinking what a handsome group? Well, you know, there's maybe one or two so of us. <laughs> yeah, we can uh, give that we'll give that honor to Shannon. Right, I definitely have the face for radio. If, but yeah. if, if we looked at decades, we were all three born in different three different decades, <laughs> right? So we three think a little differently about the caring of individuals. We do. All right? All right. So Our experiences have been different. Absolutely. So, and we're what we're shaped by is what we've experienced in life. So let's uh, let's start with this as a survey. Do either of you have Grandparents that are still alive. Let's start with you, Keith. Yeah, I don't. All of mine, all of my grandparents are gone. Okay. What I about do. you, Shannon? I do. All right. So you have how many grandparents now? I have uh, two grandparents. Two grandparents. Yep. Okay. So, and I have no grandparents right. that are alive. All right. Shannon, since you have uh, all your grandparents, how are your grandparents at this point health wise? They are in great health Okay. Today. Yeah. All very right. good health. So if anything happened to your I, any one of your grandparents, is there a plan on any kind of care for that grandparent? There probably is.
0: Uh, I, w- I would hope that <laughs> yes. my uh, probably that my, is not a plan, not hope, a plan. <laughs> I would hope that one of their four boys have thought about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but they haven't filled me on uh, in on the plan. Okay. If, there, if there is one. All right, good. Well, let's remember that, listeners. All
4: right, there's some question is what might happen. Uh, Keith, all absolutely. right, and with your
3: grandparents, how, who cared for your grandparents before they were. Uh, to the point where they passed away right they were incredibly fortunate they were both in good health so they were able to stay at home until my grandmother passed away and then my grandfather eventually went into a home and it uh, wasn't there long uh, before he had passed away so they were they were fortunate right. they got to stay in their own home uh, you know they were uh, grew up in the country so yeah they had kind of an ideal life there
4: yeah yeah and what we're seeing now with medical breakthroughs people typically are taking better care of themselves and in, in past generations. Definitely. So with that comes a reward to our bodies that we're living longer. right? And so in our business, we used to think of 20-year increments of life or two-decade increments of life. In the first 20 years from your your early 20s to your mid-40s or so, you were in the accumulation stage of life. Right. And then the next stage right after that from your mid-40s on into your 60s was your preservation stage in life. And then after that, You then went from mid-60s, you said, okay, I'm looking at retirement, and I'm going to go ahead and retire now. And that was your decumulation stage in life. So what we've seen is that people would pass away in their 80s, you know, that 20-year segment from 62 to 82 but now we have grandparents Shannon, and uh, how old is your oldest grandparent? Put a pop quiz on you. So here.
0: my grandparents are both 83, I believe. Okay. 83 or 84. My, my great grandparents live to be 100. Okay. All right. So that's a great example. I mean, he's got longevity
4: on his side of the family. And when you're talking elder care, you're talking about how do we care for people as they go through the aging process? Are they going to be able to be just cared for at home today in America? The typical caregiver, you guys want to guess who the age of the typical caregiver is today? Wow, I don't have a clue. What do you think, The Shannon?
0: age of the typical caregiver. Yeah, I'd the say the person who's
4: taking care of that grandparent. 55, 60? No, neither one of it. It's a female that's in her 40s. Wow, wow. Yeah, I would have yeah. thought of that. That's that's the typical caregiver. So with that, what we're seeing is the rise of how do you handle the financial needs for that senior person that's going to be going through that decumulation. In other words, they're using their assets up, but yet none of us know when we're going to pass away. Right. So elder care is the focus of making sure that we're
3: caring for those senior adults. And I think that's uh, just such a huge area that we have to think about. As you said, Rob, you know, we used to think about longevity as being a risk, well, right. now we just think about longevity. as it's a fact, yeah. Uh, and with Shannon talking about his great grandparents living to a hundred, that used to be the exception, and now that's going to be more of the rule. Yeah. Uh, plus, though, as you said, as we live longer, as we live past eighty and into our nineties and into our hundreds, we have a lot more medical issues because yeah. we just have issues that wouldn't have hit us in the past because we didn't live long enough for them to kick in. And Alzheimer's being the biggest one. So, how do you, you know, structure that? investment or insurance or whatever it is to take care of those is, is complicated sure. and it's everybody's got their own issues and their and their own uh, needs. Uh, so it's very, I think, a uh, person-specific right. about what kind of plan you would have for their care. Sure. And, and the
4: uh, National Association of Insurance uh, Companies, right? mm-hmm. uh, they've done a number of studies on this. They're looking at just that. In fact, one of the things they came to, and I'm going to answer your question, but let me just give you a, kind of a startling uh, statistic, is that over the next 25 years, the senior population here in the United States, which is going to double to 70 million, and that's going to be populated by 20% of them are going to be seniors. So 20% of this, that is it's a, a huge, huge number huge, yeah. that we've got to take care of. So what is happening in, the, in just for caregiving for the seniors is, uh, you know, one is we want to help build them a portfolio, their assets. But at the same time, we want to try to put some of that responsibility or ease uh, into the insurance providers. So there are insurance companies that provide products like long-term care products that are out there on the market. And then there are other insurance companies that they'll permit you to use kind of a hybrid product. Right. And maybe it has a death benefit on it of, let's just say, $100,000 and you're able to use that death benefit to help pay for your caregiving now there's those are available in the market today so that's a that's something that i see from a positive in general i can remember as a young boy growing up i bought my first life insurance policy as a 19 year old boy i had a a, tr- <laughs> a tremendous influencer in my life a guy that i looked up to and i was a college student and he said to me Hey, Rob, do you have life insurance? I said, why do I need life insurance? So it was one of those things. We had a great conversation as he explained the need of life insurance and insurability. So I found out shortly after as a 19-year-old when I was a 21-year-old and I was planning on being a pilot in the Air Force in my collegiate years, was trained, uh, had all my uh, ground test done right. mm-hmm. as far as that. And I went out for my pre-flight physical as a 21-year-old, and I had looked pretty healthy overall. Uh, but I would never really had a thorough phys- physical other than a regular health physical you do p- for playing sports. Sure. And what should happen? The military doctor said, you can't fly a plane. You're unhealthy to fly a plane. In fact, you can't be in the military because of a particular condition I had with my heart. I had no earthly idea that was there. But the wonderful thing about it, now this is now that I'm at that point where I'm really interested in elder care, (laughs) is that I had an insurance policy that I could use no matter what, because I bought it when I'm 19 and the insurance company is not going to cancel my insurance. So it's important at an early age to start an insurance plan,
3: have it there, and then we'll talk more about it when we come back about senior care. I think that is a great point. And that's also one of the reasons that I'm such a big admirer of Rob's at 19. He was buying health insurance. And at 19, I was in the 82nd, and we were living by the (laughs) live fast, die young, and lead of a smiling corpse code. Uh, So Rob is a much wiser man than I am. And we're going to explore that a little bit more after we come back from another quick break. And we will take that break and be right back. Again, I'm Keith Quinn in for Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money on The Voice, FM 107.9 and AM 990. Stick around, and we'll be right back with Rob. Clement.
2: Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes Store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after
1: this. Are you aging? Well, I am. This is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. As we age, our concerns and needs change. An updated estate plan will give you peace of mind regarding your family and your future. Your will is about your wishes and not always about your wealth. What are your wishes? Please call us at 901-843-2760 or visit us at thebaileylawfirm.com. Again, this is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm telling you that today is the youngest you will ever be. Let us help you with your estate planning, elder law, and probate needs. It's what we do.
2: You're listening to Talk Money. Shoemaker Financial and Securing and Financial Services do not provide specific tax and or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax and or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax and or legal situation. And now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker.
3: Good morning, and welcome back to Talk Money. I'm Keith Quinn, in for Jim Shoemaker. We're here in the studio with Rob Clement, and we're talking about elder care. So, Rob, tell us why elder care. Well, Keith, I'm a grand boomer. A grand boomer. Oh, yeah. I like that. So All you're right. not a boomer. You're a grand boomer. I'm a grand boomer.
4: That means I've got grandchildren. got like the grandchildren, and, right. Uh, And one of the things about having grandkids is the joy of being able to spoil them and handle them back. (laughs) Right. right? Best possible way. Best of both worlds. Exactly. And so as we look at elder care and as a grand boomer, uh, I watch my my grandkids and how they're going to take care of their parents and how are my kids particularly going to want to take care
3: of me or my wife. Now that's a great we, point. We, you got to bring them up right, so they'll take care right, of you. That's right, right. Yeah. Well,
4: and hopefully, you know, we're gonna we planned it well <laughs> enough that we're not gonna need a, that care, you know. <laughs> right, sure, but who sure. knows? We you, you know, know yeah. uh, we may not have the longevity <laughs> that Shannon's family did there. But but uh, one of the things that shoemaker that uh, that we do, we're we're looking at that uh, when you look at life's expenses and particularly. The as you look at last-of-life expenses, right. listen to these numbers. 22% of all medical expenses in the United States are last-of-life expenses. Wow, that's a huge number. You know? 18% are non-Medicare spending, and then 25% are all on Medicaid spending of the poor. So you, as a financial professional, what right. we seek to do here is we are trying to enable our clients to pursue – their financial objectives and elder care as a company is a burgeoning area for us as a company because guys like Shannon who's going to live to be a centurion absolutely us, so we're uh, we're going to be there for guys like Shannon so you know we're recognizing and helping and coming alongside our clients and helping
3: them with that elder care planning I think that's a great point because if you work your whole life and you do well on the uh, you know your asset management side and you build up your retirement nest egg, but then it can be wiped out so quickly by these medical costs. Exactly. Yeah, we've, and, we've and, seen it. Yeah, and so how do you you know how do you talk to people about that, Rob? As far as you know, do you recommend uh, or is it a client specific? You know, a certain product or solution for this? You know, this longevity that we just have now.
4: Right. Well, on the example that I gave earlier right.
3: uh, about my
4: own self. It's it's important. Just like when we talk about asset allocation for clients, as we did earlier in the program today, but we talk about how to make sure that you've got the right life insurance products for you through your life. And and most people are uh, familiar with life insurance having basically there's a term life right. insurance and then a permanent life insurance. And many companies permit you to have a term life insurance and that you can convert it to permanent and that's the area where you want to have a financial professional with you to help you walk through and help know when is the right time to make those decisions to have more permanent insurance so that you can use it as you go through the aging process. And, uh, and that's a, uh, on the agendas that I have with my clients. Right. It's always a big number as far as us talking about that. We allocate uh, a good a portion of our time to prepare as folks go through that. Now, for folks that are in their mid-50s, that's usually their early sweet spot where people are beginning to think more about. They're finding that their health is beginning to diminish a bit. I mean, I know of the decades that we talked about between Shannon, yourself, and myself, uh,
3: where do you fall? What do you begin to think about as a uh, person in their 50s? I, I Well, I think that's a, a great point, and I think we all need to think that through, but I think what I, what I walk away with, Rob, is that the importance of seeking, you know, professional help in this, because these are all complicated questions, whether it's health insurance, whether it's elder care, uh, and I hope everyone's been able to stick around for the whole show because I think it's been phenomenal information, and I wanted to thank both of you guys. Great job, gentlemen. Glad you could make it this morning, and again, glad you could share your, your wisdom and insights and help us understand a little bit more about some of these complicated areas, but I would also encourage our listeners. If you have any questions again, Rob Clement, uh, Shannon Dyson reach out to them at 901 757-5757 they'd be happy to talk about this stuff with you. So again, thanks guys for being here. Great show and I really appreciate it. Well, Alright,
4: I think Jim may be threatened with uh, you sitting in that chair. That's right, you did a great <laughs> job. Great job,
0: Keith, in the captain's chair today. Hey, I appreciate
3: it, gentlemen. And as always, we want to uh, thank our producer and board operator, Gilworth. Gil does a phenomenal job for us. Our guest and content coordinator, Fran Francis Fortner. Francis does an amazing job lining up our guests and our content. Our production assistant, Eleanor Moskowitz. our compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong, and the Midhouse South history moment as written by Drew Johnson and narrated by Rebecca Brashear. I hope you can join us next week. Well, Jim will have Kurt Zarnowski and Jason Harrington on to talk to you a little bit about social security and the evolution of this business. And until then, I am Keith Quinn for Jim Shoemaker here on talk money, helping you make the most Of your money.
2: Keith Quinn is a registered representative and investment advisor representative of Securing Financial Services Incorporated. Security dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Rob Clement is a financial professional with Securing Financial Services Incorporated.